HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Alex Baer, co-founder and CEO of Genius Juice, the delicious, no yucky stuff added smoothies made with whole coconuts. Alex is also the host of two shows, the 15 Minutes of Genius podcast and a weekly LinkedIn Live with Wade Yenny called Friday Vibes. Genius Juice has been named the BevNet Smoothie of the Year and is now available in approximately 2,500 stores across the U.S., including Whole Foods, Sprouts, Vons Pavilions, and in rotation with Costco. Welcome, Alex. I'm glad you're finally here. Yes, Allie, thank you so much for having me on your show and super excited. Yeah, we're just going to go back and forth and be on each other's shows. Pretty much. That's, we're just trade. We're trading. We're bartering in podcasts. I feel like you know who we don't even need other guests. It can just be like I go on your show, you come on my show. Um, which is a joke and yet also not really that funny in the sense that we were, we met on a Zoom panel, I don't know how many months ago. I don't even know if it was this year. Um, it was last year. It was like, it was like fall of last year. Amazing. It was a, uh, what was it again? I like it was like a brand panel yeah. we're helping others, right? And sharing. Yes, which is, which is kind of my point. Um, we both like to share. Um, we both have, I think, complicated supply chains. Neither one of us is, um, you know, putting ourselves on a rocket ship with like a lasso in our hands, like riding it like a, you know, bull. Um, and we had a lot of similar sort of opinions about growth and distribution, which I'd like to hear your thoughts on, but I feel maybe we're a little bit, um, against the current, perhaps, 
at the time of that panel. And now maybe uh, we feel maybe a little validated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, in, in general, I think there's just a lot of struggling, just a lot of struggle and challenge right now on the supply chain side. You know, that's been happening for the last year or so. Yeah. And um, I think at the end of the day, you got to know where your audience is and where your brand needs to be. And not to get too far ahead in this interview, but, you know, a year ago we were going after, you know, you know, I'm very open about this on my LinkedIn. We're going after Target. We're going after HEB. We're going after Walmart, like whatever, you know, the shiny metal, the shiny metal object. You know, we're going after that. We realize that because of how premium our product is, not to say that these retailers don't carry premium products, but high priced and premium and a little more niche, we really realize that this product, at least for right now, does not belong everywhere. And it's better just to dig deep in the stores that really um, matter most, which really helps lower the trade spend and lower all the marketing exp expenses. And you know, when you have a product that moves on its own in the store, that's pretty... I can swear on this podcast, right? Mm, totally. Pretty fucking great. Yeah. You know, when, when you have a product that just moves on its own. Right. So you don't have to pay marketing. You don't have to do a lot of trade spend or, or um, you know, promotions yeah. or TPRs. So I think that's like what I've done, you know, since we were talking about then versus now, I think that's the biggest learning I've had is just go where you belong and. I think we found out where we belong and we're embracing that. And and this is, you know, I I do like to jump right in because if anyone wants to like read the founder story or see how you tasted coconut meat in coconut water, they can go to your website. This is, they can't get this there. Um, I think that that's kind of what I meant by a little bit of validation. I feel like both of us were, listen, we're, we're surrounded by rocket ships and LFGs, right? And especially in beverage, I would imagine even more so in beverage. And it's, there is a place for growth, but there's also a place for, you know, building a sustainable business, building a hopefully at some point profitable business. And I think to your point, what we were both sort of talking about is, yeah, those shiny objects are out there and they get a lot of attention and they get a lot of, you know, woohooing, which is great. And no one ever was thinking about or talking about the costs. And I think one piece of it is like what exactly what you were saying. It costs a lot to get in those doors. They tend not to turn as well for premium products or better for you products. But there's also another piece of it, which is like this so this this thing that we're all told when we first start out, but that no one seems to really adhere to, which is this like, you know, inch deep mile, you know, mile deep, inch wide, or whatever the expression is, like core mm -hmm. than more, you know. Right. And hard in your backyard, all of those things, like what you said, where is your audience? Because it's, it was, there was like the zeitgeist was, you know, say, where's your audience and build there. But it was really all about, you know, door count and awareness. And now that things have gotten harder, at least this is my perspective. I'm interested in yours. Now that it's like, there's this like, oops, there might be, you know, there might be a correction or people might not be spending as much and uh-oh, supply chain. Like now there's this sort of refocus on fundamental business economics, which 
which make more sense doing it that way. Plus we get to know those people and figure all of that stuff out before we then hit the pedal to the metal. And, and like you, I'm, I am, you know, I'm happy with some of those more conventional doors and, you know, I'm going to keep pursuing them because there is a place for, you know, opening more. Um, but I think, you know, what we were both sort of saying on that zoom panel was figure this stuff out first. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, uh, there's nothing like, you know, like with a correction where, which I think is still looming. Um, I, I, you know, not to turn this into, you know, the, you know, mad money with Jim Cramer or something like that. <laughs> I, I definitely think shit's going to really hit the fan once jobs dry up right now. Like there's still a lot of jobs and like, you know, companies are looking for people and there's like labor shortages because of kind of the tail end of COVID and people are still getting sick here and there. Um, but I feel like in the next, you know, we're, we're taping this in the summer of 2022 sometime in the fall and we'll see if I'm right or not, because I'm not an econometrician or anything like that, but sometime in the fall, there's going to be a much larger, uh, much larger correction well, going into right. later this year. And so I, I recently sold a majority of my stocks off, you know, not to be out of it forever, but so I think something's coming right. and, you know, you have to like, look at it. How is it going to affect your business? And I mean, your product, um, from what I remember, let's see how genius I am. I believe it's six ninety nine mm-hmm. in Sprouts. Mm-hmm. So, and then it's funny, ours is actually right next to you. Um, at least in the store that I'm, I go to in Torrance. I hope that California. you're merchandising us and making our pouches look pretty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I definitely, <laughs> whenever I'm there, I, I definitely touch it up. I move it to the front, you know. Thank you. And, you throw the so, other things, you know, behind it and, you know, oh yeah. give us 18 so just, facings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I just buy it and I throw it away. <laughs> clear the shelf, I pay for it, and then just throw it away. And Thank be you like, so much. You're a great band ambassador. You know, but but even if it doesn't, like even if all of that, yes, that, that all may happen, who knows. But what we do know is what actually is already happening, which is what, you know, Jim, our fresh market buyer told us, which is that consumers are trading meat for chicken and fish. Consumers are eating less meat, chicken and fish. Costco meat sales are down significantly, right? Like, there's already, even if it isn't there, there is, you know, I was listening to this podcast about the economy and like, it's almost like the, the, there is group think, right. And everyone's like, wait, what, you know, we're in a thing. Okay. So they're going to go to Disney, but they might not have the, the swag budget that they did, or they are going to go to Disney. They go, they go less often. Exactly. Right? Once instead of twice a year or whatever it is. So it's like a, it's a perception thing. And, and for those of us with products, yeah, we, we really need to be thinking about this, but I even like thinking about it. It's like, there's nothing, what's the expression? There's like no better opportunity than like something when something not good happens or it's something like that. It's like buying low, right? It's selling high and buying low. Yeah. There's like, there's not, there like, you know how many DMS I'm going to get about this. It's like, don't waste a, don't waste a good crisis or something like that. But it's also an opportunity for us. And I love this. I mean, I think this is the entire podcast. Where is your audience? Because that is where you need to be. 
and doing the work of really figuring out who they are, what makes them tick and how to build a relationship with them so that when the troubles do come, they have built so much trust with you that you are an essential. You are not yeah. like an incremental. It, exactly. It's, it's got to be definitely like you're building a tribe of people. Um, I think in our case, our tribe is fairly small. We want to make it much larger. I think the bigger, the bigger thing that I learned about running you know, Genius Juice for eight years is you want to have something that can be incorporated into the daily life of that consumer, you know, um, that's why, you know, there's certain products that just don't really turn as much because right. people are not using it every day. They use right. it for emergency use only, or, you know, when they're feeling a certain way they use it. So this is why coffee is the number two, you know, most important ingredient in the world. Right. Right. Um, or coffee beans, I should say, because people rely on coffee every morning afternoon and sometimes even at night it's like one of those superpower commodity mm -hmm. items so i think it's like seasonal, when developing, right. <laughs> yeah, it's not even yeah it's like it's like i mean when you're the, when the number one coffee shops in the fucking country are in the one of the coldest areas in the country <laughs> you know you know you know or, or the hottest right. area in the country is yeah. still selling well yeah. like it does both it does well in both yeah. environments like southern california you know you got something great yeah but i think like you know, with ours, it's slightly seasonal being a coconut smoothie, you know, it's more of a summer spring item. It still does well in the fall, you know, on the East coast, but when it starts going to winter time, it just drops significantly like 20, 30% in parts of the country where it's just so cold. Right. And, you know, when you want to have a coconut drink, you're not really thinking, of, you're thinking of a palm tree in the sun. You're not thinking of iced roads in the middle of right. you know upstate new york right well so, how do you plan for that how, i mean you just you just know what's coming so you know what you need to hit by september and you kind of call october through december anything yeah, extra we is just, great demand planning yeah. right like we look at all the trends we look at past movement depending on where it is in the country you know we have a very simple spreadsheet that shows every distributor every customer whether it's a retailer or distributor, whether it's Rainforest, whether it's High Touch, whether it's Unify, whether it's Kehi, in every area of the country, and we see, we see what the volume is and the movement during the seasonal times across the entire year. We go one year back, and that's how we demand plan. Okay, how much product do we need to order? How much product do we need to send to different warehouses across the country? But I think going going back to my main point to kind of get out of the weeds, yeah. at least on the logistics side, like creating a brand that is a multi-use, single-use or multi-use every single day and creating that bond like you were talking about with the customer, consumer, I should say, where they need to have it, they want to have it every single day and it becomes part of their daily ritual. Right. And this is where, you know, um, like with yours, it's cooking. Like you cook mm -hmm. every day. You're going to use your, your sauce, Haven's Kitchen, almost every day, as long as you're cooking, or, you know, even if it's something quick that you're not cooking, you put on your salad or whatever it is. Right. And, you know, shots, I think is the same utility, you know, shots, people are just having it now every morning. Mm -hmm. Like when I wake up, I have a turmeric and ginger shot to, to start my day. So that's why shots are doing so well. And the other part is, you know, getting something that's under, you know, this is just my opinion and beverage after learning and going through all this, that if you want to scale your brand, the 
retail price of the product, it like there, there there's exceptions. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say there's not yeah, exceptions, yeah, of but 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 in general, like the rule of thumb, three ninety nine and under, right. three ninety nine and under, and going into this potential whether whatever you call it a correction or a recession, it needs to be at three ninety nine. And what's funny is here's what's funny. Okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is this is something I probably never have said on the podcast before, but I'm gonna say it. Amazing is. If I go into a Whole Foods and our product, which is listed at $5.99 in a Whole Foods, and it's it's my product, and I love my product, mm -hmm. or I wouldn't have created it. Right. And I go in there, and I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. If I'm, like, really craving it, I will buy it, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, because you know, I, I usually get it for free. But if I'm on the road, or I just did a workout, and I'm sweating my freaking ass off and I need to replenish and I'm dying, I will buy a genius smoothie. But if I'm like, an, if, I, if it's a normal day and I'm a little bit hungry and I would, it would be nice to have the genius smoothie and it's at $5.99, I would hesitate a little bit on that, you know, and I would probably just go get a bar, you know, for $2.99 in the refrigerated set, a perfect bar or whatever it is. So that coming from the founder really shows that, <laughs> you know, heading into, you know, this kind of correction and we're starting to pull back on what we spend. Right. It's very psychological when something is above $4.99. Yes. It's very psychological. And I could also, our product is so good, not to sound like a sales thing, yeah, but, but it, yeah. I, I can crush it within two minutes. Yep. You know? So it's like crushing a bottle, drinking a bottle within two minutes and it's $5.99, you know, I, I wouldn't buy it every day, right. but I would buy it as a treat, you know, once or twice a week when I really am craving it and I want the benefits, but let's get real, you know, a 10 ounce smoothie at $5.99, it's just hard to scale. Yeah. And, and I've had investors tell me that. And sometimes I didn't listen. I'm like, Oh no, it can scale. You know, I kind of had the, I was drinking the Kool-Aid yeah. before. Well, and I right. realized now through data because mm -hmm. data is King. It never lies, no matter what. Customers, consumers will never lie unless they're in your face. Right. Right. Like, you know, if they're, if they're right next to you yep. and they know you're the founder, they'll say, oh my God, this I is buy amazing. this right, yeah. It's amazing. And you've heard this before, I'm sure, when, you do, when you're doing demos or when you're at events. But consumers do not lie uh, behind your back. Right. <laughs> and the data never lies. So when I look at the data, we do well enough to stay in the stores. We've seen some increases year over year, which is great. But to get to that level of doing, you know, harmless harvest velocity or, you know, or in your case, lighthouse or whatever the competitor is in, in your world, like it's just hard to get there when the product is so expensive. Yep. You know, but then there's the flip side where you want to have a great quality product. Yep. And it's going to make the cost go higher, especially with all the supply chain issues going on. So it's kind of a catch-22 where you want to have quality, yeah. but at an accessible, affordable no, price. It's the, ultimate, it's the ultimate challenge. It is the challenge of this business. It, I mean, it just, the, the cost of making anything of high quality, the number of chunks that are bitten out of the margin by the distribution system and then the expectations of the consumer of what they should be paying for something on a supermarket shelf 
create probably one of the hardest businesses in the world to be successful in. Right. Yeah, beyond besides being a musician, like that to me is the hardest. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there are probably harder things like you know, life threatening, you know, surgeries and things like that. But you know, just in terms of success rate, right? And that's what's so crazy about this business is like we're all told that. I went from having a brick and mortar cooking school in New York City. Hospitality in New York City is known to be razor thin margins, very, very fickle, right, guests. Rent can go up at literally any time. You might not be able to actually have a team. You don't know what food is going to cost. There's someone who opens around the corner. It's literally like considered just a horrible business. Plus it's retail, right? And I literally leapt from that into, <laughs> into this. It's like from one to yeah, from you one know, and I'm kind of another. like, huh, you know, but it, you know, but, but, you know, you're making something that is genuinely making people's lives better. And it's weird, but it is this like labor of love. I mean, I guess the question for you is like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. So I, I got a few ways to answer that. Um, I can't. Should we wait until after the break? Oh, I, I would love to. I can say it, you know, since I'm on the stream of consciousness. Okay, go, but, go, go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because it's uh, just like Friday vibes, like no script, right? Like I love how you run yeah. your podcast. It's just an open discussion and um, and it's very natural and organic and I, and no you know, pun intended. It's like our products. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what our products are. <laughs> no, so um, I would say that there's two ways to approach it. Um, I would say three. I'm, I'm going to say three. The first way in no particular order is to reformulate your product to get the price down. And I think that's a really hard road because you have all these loyal followers that the only reason they're buying buy your product is because it's different. And it's not as easy as just reformulating. And honestly, any brand that I've seen reformulate has gotten killed. Yeah. Killed. Like, you know, look at Honest Tea, look at Zico. You no, know, Coke screwed them up and because they tried to save money, right? right and fit it into, into the Coke box. And so, like, that's not really an option. Number two is you right size your budget. And um, that's exactly what we have done. You know, we have, I've had to let go of some people that I really love, right. people I've worked with for two, three years, but it's either you got to put it through your mind, which is, you know, if you need to right size and cut your budget back, it's either you do that or you go out of business, right? right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's kind of like when it, when you look at it in that light, it's, it's a pretty logical and easy choice. Yes. Um, and then the founder or the executive team needs to really pick up and do more. Um, I just spoke with someone who runs a, um, it's a beverage, it's a coffee beverage. I won't say which one, but he is getting into several thousand um, convenience stores very soon. He's getting into, uh, he was saying so, some other large chain, you know, several thousand, I think it was Kroger. How can I forget that? He's getting into Kroger. So all, the, all, this, all this great stuff is happening. And I'm like, how many people do you have to support all this? He said, I have four people, mm -hmm. me and my co-founder and two interns. Oh, wow. And I'm like, holy shit. But he's handling all the sales. His co-founder is handling all the operations right. and production and logistics. They use a co-packer. They outsource everything. Mm -hmm. 
and they're getting by and they're saving a lot of money. So I think a lot of owners and founders, you know, they rely too much and it's going to sound very weird. Like this is stuff you probably don't hear a lot on podcasting. Like you, you always hear, oh, the team has to be really great and like make sure to build a great team. It takes a village. It doesn't take a, a fucking village right. to build a brand. Right. No, it takes it takes a house. Yeah. You know, it takes a house of maybe five bedrooms in the Hamptons or something, (laughs) like a larger house. Um, Or, you know, it doesn't have to be in the Hamptons. It could be in Carson, California. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter where it is. It has to be a larger house that has enough people, but it's very tight knit and you're talking with each other every single day. Mm -hmm. You can build a brand that way where everyone does something crucial for the company and you just make the ends meet. You cut the budget as much as possible and I mean, you, you got to do very simple math is what it, here's my margin. Here's my trade spend. If I have a 40% margin minus 15% trade spend, I have a 25% gross, you know, yeah. margin, right? Gross margin minus set 5% in freight. I have a 20% margin. How much do I have to do in sales to cover my monthly nut? Right. So if I have a 40,000 monthly nut, I need to do 200,000 in sales. This is an example. 200,000 in sales so that I have 40,000 in gross profit to cover all of my expenses. Like every single fucking founder should be doing that. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is people are burning through cash, raising more money at a ridiculous valuations. And they're trying to get by by raising, raising, raising. And, you know, it's good to raise capital. It's good to get a great team on board and I've raised capital, but eventually in these times, you got to just be more realistic on, how do I break even? And that that requires me to not go after all these other accounts, right. which costs an arm and a leg to be in. So be it. And stay I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Because, so, you know, getting in and staying in, right? It's funny. I was having a similar conversation with someone and they were getting a lot of investor pressure to open, you know, fill in the blank XYZ. And I was like, well, where are you now? And they're like, well, we just opened XYZ, a really strong, really like progressive conventional slash natural grocer with like 180 doors. And I was like, well, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing there? And they're like, well, we just, we just, we're there. You know? And I was like, well, how you, you just spent money to get in there. Right. Like, and now you're just, now you're just going to leave, you're just going to let it be and move on to the next. Like, can't do that. you can't Especially do that. Especially like a retailer like, for you, people. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, because it's just, it's like, I never really understood because I'm such a Luddite. Like I never, you know, when all this talk of CAC and AOV and CAC L, LTV and AOV and blah, 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 like all this like growth stuff, right. That was like, everyone was just acronym flaunting for however many years like the the idea of the cost of acquiring a consumer is not just a tech idea it is a it is it is age old every consumer comes with some price tag attached to them hopefully it's zero because they found you organically and you know but most of the time, there's some cost associated with that consumer. If you did a demo and they converted, right? It's there is a cost. If you did an ad, if you bought an ad in a circular, if you did a coupon, whatever it is, whether it's like 
IRL or digitally, you have paid to acquire that person. If you then go and squander that, then then you get them once and you've paid that money. But the minute that they buy it again, and then again, and then again, you're dividing that cost like almost like a half-life, right? And half and half and half. <laughs> like, like a law of diminishing returns. Of, yeah, right? except the other way, I guess. Um, a law of... much better returns. Amazing, amazing growing returns. Okay, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk more. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Alex Bayer of Genius Juice. Um, Okay, so going back to, you know, first of all, I love this. I think this is going to be really, really helpful for for founders and for people working at, you know, at all these CPG brands that listen. We're up to like, over a thousand downloads a week, by the way. So like, thank you, everybody. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and, but, you know, so clearly people are like, there are people that are interested in this. And and my guess is that they're going to be very interested in, in this perspective because it's not an all or nothing zero sum scenario. It's not like it's all over. Um, if it's, if it's rough and your margins aren't great, most of the time there are there are things that there are people, unfortunately, I think most of the time that are doing things that $70,000 salary, that $90,000 salary, like it sounds really harsh, but chances are those things could be absorbed um, by other people. And, And some of the best founders I know, I mean, I think, I don't know if Chris Kirby still does his own sales, but he did for a long time. Oh yeah. So, he's still, yeah. It never, it never stops with a founder like that. Yeah. Like he's going to be intimately involved in the sales. Yeah. You know, and the thing is like, I'm intimately involved in the sense that like I'm in every deck and I'm presenting most of the time, but there's like this whole other piece of sales that is on a spreadsheet and dealing with brokers and UNFI and that I, that I am not good at. Um, he just happens to have that, that chip also, but, you know, when you take out a big role and, and one of the people 
on the leadership team or like the founding team takes it on, it is a pretty big chunk. You know, those two guys, if they've divided the labor well and they just have a couple of outsourced retainers, they can go a long way that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just every, I think, you know, it's good to have a key core people that are looking at the macro side of the business and the most important parts of the business. And then anything else that is less macro, such as, you know, hitting the broker over the head to make sure they're presenting right. or <laughs> submitting promotions or making sure that your merchandising team is getting out there and hitting the stores, whether you hire base makers or dirty hands, like that's where you get someone else who's more, uh, more like sales administrative, right. I would say not so much an admin, but someone that's a little more data centric, more patient. Right. And that's doesn't the sales vision part. Kind of a, yeah. Yeah. Like in being in front of a computer, essentially more. And then like where I excel and Ali, where you excel is like the visionary, the one that talks about the product, the one that's in the meetings, yep. you're making hand selections on where we should go, where you should go with your product and what stores you should be in. So I think, yeah, behind every great company, there's great organization with people that know how to slice and dice everything. Yep. And they just focus on what they're great at. Yeah, it's funny. I have an investor who's been a head of sales at a bunch of different companies, and he's just super, super helpful. And he always talks about like, there's the brand and then you open a door and there's this back room with no windows and that's the business, you know, <laughs> like, and you know, the, the, there are founders, most of us are sort of like, we like to be in the front room, but the ones that like to also really dig in and like hang in the back room, like there's, there's something cool about that too. It's, it's not my, um, I mean, not to say that we're not in the business, obviously we're in the business and we know the numbers, but we don't, we're not in there making the thing turn, you know, we're. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you want to be involved to a certain extent and then just make sure to make the right decisions. And it goes back to like the budgeting because mm -hmm. like sales, right. Marketing advertising, trade spend, marketing and or events, like all these, you know, it's like almost like I'm reading off a of QuickBooks mm -hmm. online right now and all these line items, but it's really, really important to, I would say, keep your marketing trade spend and all marketing, everything combined under 30 to 35%, yeah. you know, and yeah. like, like you factor in the people and the personnel and one thing I learned is really just don't hire someone in a region where you don't have a lot of sales. Like, you know, it's, it feels good. And that's, that's the problem with this industry is people want to feel good and say, oh, no, I got an, I got a territory manager in Texas, Florida, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, dude, if you're, if you have 5,000 or 10,000 a month in sales in Florida and you're hiring someone for 7,000 a month out there, it's like, you're never going to make your money <laughs> back. They're never going to generate enough value for you to ever, to rationalize keeping that person on payroll. Yeah. So Speaking of sales, you know, we have a new finance team and, and Kevin, who I'm working with said something really interesting to me. This is not true for marketing people or ops people, but it is true for salespeople that basically they should generate probably close to six X what you're paying them. So if you're paying a regional salesperson a hundred thousand dollars a year and there's a bonus and there's insurance and whatnot, they should be clearing 600,000 in sales. 
Exactly. And I think that's really key because we did that in, in New York with our partners there where we put it on a um, kind of a tiered system. Right. So originally we were paying them, but this is what's, this is what's so cool about the tiered system is that before we were paying them, you know, let's say X and then, you know, the volume was pretty flat for a while. And then, and you, you know, New York, there's a lot of room yeah. for growth. COVID was tough, but now we're getting out of it and, you know, places are, things are reopening yeah. and it's, it's looking really bright out there from what I can see. Yeah. And, and so we did a tiered system and said, listen, we're going to drop your pay. But if you hit the second level of, of, of velocity and moving this many cases per month, you'll be back up to your old pay. And then if you start going above that, you'll get paid more. And what you're getting paid before. And this is like a DSD situation or. Yeah, yeah. well, it's DSD, but it was a, exactly that we hired a, an outsourced sales company that works with the DSD. Got it. Okay. And, and for fantastic. everyone, sorry, acronym alert. Um, direct store delivery. Yes. So <laughs> the direct store delivery means that they are going in and they're basically like putting it on the shelf as opposed to UNFI who may or may not <laughs> Leave it in the backyard is how exactly. I, I think about it. Yeah. So it's just for the little, uh, you know, brands and for the ones that are emerging and we need a little bit more babysitting. We do tend to start with these DSD distributors and New York is very weird. Um, we just have a ton of like little streets and bodegas, especially for beverage. It's kind of the only way to go. We don't really have the big, I mean, for every... I, I had no idea how many grocery stores there were in America because I am an, a born and bred New Yorker. And I was like, I've never seen real grocery stores until I, like this. Yeah, they're, you know. they're a hell of a lot bigger for sure. And there's so Much many of them. State. And they, they, all, yeah. they all end with like there's Gelson's and Harmon's and Lassen's and they all, you know, they all end exactly no they're so that but here we and uh the, the these little trucks with these with these you know 60 year old you know distribution relationships with all of these like corner stores and you know bodegas basically own the town um to some extent here so anyway going back to you were talking about the tiered system yeah. 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 So like they ended up actually, they're now getting paid more than what they were getting paid before. Plus our volume is about 30 to it's, it's almost 40% higher. Wow. So it's very, but you know, that doesn't come like, like, wow. No, like yeah. Magic. Like it's literally like every week we became very engaged with them. We look at the, um, we look at, you know, the Repsley, we, you know, Repsley are mm -hmm. basically merchandising picture reports right. that they, they take in the stores on where they are and what the shelf looks like and the notes. So we went like literally brick by brick, mm -hmm. store by store. Hey, you know, Whole Foods in, in you know, in Union Station, it's missing the mocha skew. Right. Where's the mocha skew? Okay, go to the back, make sure to get it. Hey, there, a tag's missing in that photo. Right. So I think like what we really learned is we just dig you know, and it's very repetitive, but I'll say it anyway, we're digging very deep in, let's say, four regions in the country, you know, in SoCal, NorCal, um, PAC Northwest, and then East Coast, like New York. And we're just getting very surgical on um, what the stores look like, what needs to be improved. We look at the Repsley, we look at what stores are missing what, because 
you know, Allie, the main thing that you've learned is that, you know, when you fix one store, right? Like if it was out of one SKU, let's say, let's say it's out of two SKUs for like a month. That's, you know, hundreds in revenue. And then if you multiply that out over 52 weeks, you're talking thousands. And that's really how a brand gets built. It gets built store by store, focusing on the stores. Mm -hmm. And that's why it it scares me when, you know, there's a brand that, you know, goes into 4,000, you know, let's say 4,000 7-Elevens or they go into 2,000 Kroger's, which is not a bad thing to do. Like you do that when it's at the right timing of your brand cycle and your life cycle and your product and your company. But if you do that too early and there's no brand awareness, sure as hell, it it looks good to the investors when you first launch and get a huge opening PO. Then like you said, you're like- You better go raise money really quickly. (laughs) Yeah, it bombs really quickly. The velocity per store is- terrible and then you end up getting discontinued and you spent all this money on marketing to get it off the ground and you also spend money on free fills or trade spend or slotting fees and then before you know it within three to six months you're out and good luck trying to get back in you know like places like Publix right right if you're in there they have uh, I don't have you been in Publix or you no we're holding off on Publix yeah, Publix is a tough retailer. They're a great retailer, one of the best run stores, I think, in the country. I mean, I went out there and checked out a lot of their stores in Florida. And, uh, but, you know, it's they have a very strict report card. They have a portal. Literally, you're graded mm-hmm. every single week. You're graded on velocity, you're graded on logistics, yeah. you're graded on the product arriving in the right conditions yeah. in their warehouse. They have all their own distribution. They, they run a, such a tight ship there that, they give you three months. Wow. They give you three months. And literally, like, you know, the buyer, my buyer was texting me like, okay, like what, what buyer texts yeah, you? Right. You know, like, <laughs> like she was texting me and she's, she's been there for 28 years. I mean, she just stepped down and about a year ago and she would text me like, like, oh, you know, just um, you got a BOGO coming up and make sure to do this. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, we're light on inventory. Make sure to get more to the warehouse. And everything was integrated with their warehouse. And the most amazing thing about their stores, not to get too off far off subject, no, I, is you I go in, yeah. they have trucks. They have so many distribution centers. Their trucks deliver seven days a week to the store. So there's no outages at all. But on top of that, it's speed to shelf. What is it called? Um, or uh, direct to shelf right. or order to shelf? Right. Order to shelf on the OTS. So when you walk into a Publix and you go to the back room, there is almost nothing, nothing back in there. there. Yeah, it's literally, it's pallet dropped. The produce manager or the grocery manager they put it right on the shelf, and I've never seen more seniority. I've never seen more um, long-standing employment. And at Publix. Yeah. I mean, it consistently kind of ranks as, but it is, I think, out of places to work, right? But it is also one of the ones that, like, you really, it's very hard to to connect with. I mean, for us, we have a whole other issue there, which is like, I really don't want to be in the plant based set there. I, but I'm not sure about meat and I don't know about exactly. It's like, it's not. And it's like the, the weird stuff kind of, goes there. But I want to go back to something else you said earlier, which is like going back to, you know, what I call babysitting our pouches, right? Going back to making sure that 
you know, every slot that you've been given, you are in, that you look good in all of them, that you're facing the right way, that, you know, you're in code. All of that stuff is going back to like, you have already paid to acquire those consumers. So it's not just that you're not making money, it's that you're actually blowing money that you've already spent, which, you know, it's like a, it's like a little shift in the way. And it's funny because I had Paul from Ourobora on here a couple weeks ago and, you know, he was kind of reminiscing about pre-COVID and driving in his Subaru and talking to the people on the floor and making sure that the cans look good and all of that. It's like, it sounds kind of quaint and like a distant sort of like charming memory, but really we have to do that forever. Yeah. You know? like, and you have to be aggressive. Yeah. Too. And I mean, I mean, especially I hear in beverage, it's like really pretty brutal. We don't really have anyone like moving us to get another thing. Like it doesn't, it, <laughs> In the, yeah, in the, we're not, we're not, they're, 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 you guys are not killing each no, other. Like the fresh condiment community is very <laughs> respectful of each other's space. The kimchi people would never like headbutt me, but you know, it's a very Zen category. Exactly. We're super Zen. We're like the hippie stuff. But you know, I think, um, I think there was a minute where, and it's interesting, I think COVID, you know, Courtney, who's our like head of brand here, we were talking about it the other day we're kind of all like, you know, the lobsters in the water. Like, I don't think we even know how crazy COVID was. It had a ton of tailwind for a lot of us. It had a ton of headwind for a lot of us. It had kind of a combination of everything for everyone. And everything that we sort of like benchmarked as like consumer behavior or consumer shifts or the new normal or whatever it was, we still haven't unpacked or an, it's not, none of that, that whole two year chunk is almost like this weird little parentheses in this trajectory of consumer behavior in, you know, from 2018 to 2028, you know, it's like, we thought for a minute that we would never do another demo. We thought for a minute that everything was going to become e-com and that the grocery store might go away. We, there are all these things that everyone was thinking, you know, that are, we thought for a minute that we should use the sales of 2020 to decide what our growth trajectory should be. That, that doesn't make sense. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. But now there's this, like, we're all kind of like, Oh wait, huh? Retail actually has life. It's good. Which is amazing. And yeah. by the way, like maybe those numbers were a little inflated because everyone was on their phone at home for eight months, not being able to leave their house. Like, huh, you know, yeah. and both yeah. good and bad. Right. And I don't know. I don't know that, you know, I don't know that my category is ever going to have the type of reset schedule and the type of review calendar that it did before. I think a lot of buyers at this point are kind of like, all right, you know, I can touch the shelves a couple times a year. I'm not going to do a whole thing. I'm not going to have brands come and meet me for 20 minutes for the week of whatever. I I think that behavior might be a little bit different. Yeah. I want to slide in on that because I think it's really, uh, 
it's really important that the review cycle is changing where it just, I don't know about you, but it just seems harder and harder to get access to a buyer because they're so overwhelmed with so many different pitches. And then on top of that, like, you know, because, you know, they can't really, it's, it's, it's not in person anymore. Sometimes it is, but everything is on literally Google meet or zoom and they have like 20 meetings in a row. And even when I do have meetings, they just look, I wouldn't say not like they look unhappy. They just look tired. You know, like I look at them and they look tired and I'm, I'm wondering unless I'm coming out the gate with insane data or, you know, I got water from Mars, mm-hmm. you know, I take a trip <laughs> with Elon Musk to Mars and get water from there. And I come back and I name it Tesla water yeah. or whatever. By the way, I have a very funny Tesla story to tell you, but yeah, carry yeah. on. Everyone does. There's <laughs> it's probably a level above, but, um, but yeah, like, so like my, my whole point is it's harder to get people's attention when there's so much going on, unless you're, um, really disruptive right. and very just in your face and out there. And so brands that are actually getting, you know, most of the attention right now are, and I don't blame them for mm-hmm. it is like Olipop or midday squares. And, you know, and then there's certain categories that are booming, you know, and we were just in a review at a, I won't say which market, but they're, they're, you know, they have a couple hundred locations um, they're pretty widespread. They're in a lot of states. And literally 70% of what was approved was prebiotic and probiotic sodas mm-hmm. and sparkling water. Right. And I'm like, dude, there was no, I mean, I didn't say like dude to the buyer, but I'm just <laughs> like, I'm thinking when I'm looking at the at, at their their approvals and, and cuts that there was no approvals. This I've never seen this before. Yeah. There was no approval for Koya, Genius, Rebel. Revenue organic or harmless harvest. And I'm like, every single set that I've ever seen, every review I've ever seen, there's some skew getting in. Like between those five top plant based, functional smoothie and juice, mm-hmm. you know, or coconut brands, something is getting in. And so I think, like, part of, you remember I was mentioning about probably 30 minutes ago, different ways that you can grow and scale your business. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the first, there was one way, which is reformulating, mm-hmm. which is not really an option for brands like us. Number two is cutting right, your, budget. your budget. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Number three is being very agile and adapting to where the market is. Yeah. Going. I think I know what your next product is. I'm not going to say it out loud, but I'm going to, I'm going to write it on a little piece of paper and tuck it in a pillow. And then <laughs> when it comes so out, me, I'll like, take a picture of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like you can like you can like post post market you know, know. Or post data. But, yeah. but you know it's interesting because this reminds me of a few years ago this is pre-covid i had so many resets and so many meetings where they were like if it's not plant-based cheese we're not cutting it in yeah, it's not, and it's i was like okay, right? yeah. team hey sorry to be like you know a little defensive and perhaps whatever but you can't have a whole freaking set of plant-based spreadable cheese. And by the way, also plant-based meat or meat products. Because yeah, they over-index. They just, they're, yeah. they're, and so now it's actually interesting because now we're on the other side of that where now they're looking to fill slots for, you know, one of the nine 
things. And I get it, right? Because the way that I think about it, and maybe I just made this up, but like, I think about it as, okay, you have, let's call it 10 for an even number, which is more than we have in any set. But let's say they're 10 feet in our set. And 80% of that, so eight feet of the 10 needs to be margin accretive to the buyer. 20% of it can be for the cool kids, for the innovation, for the new stuff, for the cool flavors, for the stuff that brings in the young consumer or shows that they're progressive and keeps people interested and keeps them off of Amazon or, you know, the, that stuff. And there's how, for those 20, you know, 20 slots basically, or the two feet or whatever my analogy is, there's what, 10 times that, right? Trying to get in there. So they're going to pick who they're going to think is going to have the best chance of going from innovation into margin accretive, which is like you said, either, okay, this is so totally different that it will work. They already, they're doing so much work that they, you know, I mean, now in all of my sales decks, I say we get 10 million social views a month. Like I see them writing that down. It, 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 it's true, which is cool. But is that a metric that I ever thought of or that I would think would go in a sales deck? No, but it does because how are they going to, how are they going to know who out of those gazillion brands to put into that simple 20%? And then exactly. the clock starts ticking. Like you said, then you have maybe a year to go from the 20% into the 80% that's accretive because there's always something more innovative right behind you. So right now the innovative crew, they're, they're just sussing out like, what, which of the prebiotic and the probiotic and the whatnot is going to work. Then they're going to cull it. Those are going to move into a creative. And then the next group comes through. And, and if you have a physical space with only so much linear square feet, I'm not sure that there's a better way to do it. Yeah. There's really, it's, it's just difficult all around when you have a very innovative brand. And I think the most successful brands that I've seen they are picture like a surfer, right? You know, and I think you know where I'm going with this, but you look at the water, the water's really calm, there's nothing happening. But way, way, way out, maybe coming from Japan or something, you know, there's a wave forming yeah. that's coming to, the, to California. And it takes months or years to get here, but it's coming and you see it. And you have the foresight to see that wave starting to form many, many, many years or months, you know, ahead of time. And so you begin putting time and energy and money into that vision and you build it, you get the branding right, you get the flavor right, you get the taste, I guess the flavor and taste, the same thing, you get the texture right, you get the packaging right and the benefits, you look at Mintel or Spins and get all the data right on consumer insights on what people want. But you also have to mix in a little bit of feel. You got to know where the puck is going, mm. as Wayne Gretzky has said. <laughs> so you, you mix all that into a pot and you mix it together and then out comes your product. You put it on the shelf. You have to get a little bit lucky, you know? And then by the time that you're you're going and you're, you have, you know, the cylinders are popping and you're starting to speed up the car, um, boom, the, the trend hits. Now the trend is here and the wave is forming. And guess what? You got your fucking surfboard and you're already in the water on the wave. Right. 
and then you ride the wave because you're like, dude, I saw this wave from Japan <laughs> a year and a half ago, yep. you know, and now I'm on it. And all you guys are trying to swim out to the water. Yep. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to get crushed by the waves. Or you're going to go out and you're going to raise a gazillion dollars. Like I've seen happen in plant-based yogurt, right? Where there are people that, plant-based meat. Right, where there were people doing it. They had a really good idea. They were building it brick by brick. They were really thoughtful. And then it was a thing. And then it became, and they got crushed because they were yeah, able yeah. to basically lower their prices artificially yeah yeah i mean that, that's kind of that's kind of the game right yeah. is like if you're going to be one of the original trendsetters and leaders you have to make sure that you're capitalized enough so you can take advantage of that so if a competitor comes in that's much larger than you you can still fend them off and you also have to have be in a category that has enough blue ocean back to this surfing analogy right. where there's there's more waves coming that are going to carry you more and more and more all the way to the shore and, and you're good. Yeah. So like you got to pick the right industry. That's not too niche. And like, I think a really very easy example that everyone um, can really, um, you know, relate to is watermelon water. Yeah. That's a very great example because there was a trend, you know, I, I can't remember her name. I think Ju- Julie or jo- Jody, she, she went out on her surfboard. She caught the wave. She saw it far away. She caught it. But unfortunately, the wave was mm-hmm. too small and it didn't carry her all the way to the shore. Gee. Yeah. And Guy as well, yeah. fourth and hard. I remember. You, know, they, mm-hmm. you drown in the ocean, yeah. you know, because there's not enough momentum. Yeah. And now, you know, I don't know about fourth and hard, but watermelon water is, they're not out of business, but she had a fire sale. So it's like there's a combination yeah. where catch the right thing at the right time, have the right packaging, have the right team, have the money you need to at least support it to fend off competitors and make sure that it's a trend that has enough momentum to take you all the way. And like, if you get that combination right, you're gonna have a successful brand on your hands or you keep it more of a niche brand and you grow it over many, many years, you become profitable, you know, you eventually get to 10 million or 15 million sales over many years of blood, sweat and tears. And you sell it to a um, larger company that's like, dude, you may not be doing 40 million, right. but you know what? It's a nice we little can take nut. that mm-hmm. and you're profitable and we'll buy you. Yep. And I think too many people were acting on the side of, I'm going to build this in four years and sell it. And yep. I'm going to raise all this money and have really high valuation. And right now, I think that it's coming to roost where that is, is a really, really tough strategy, you know, to survive. Yeah. Just I mean, cash. I want to add one thing before I let you go, which is that at the end of that whole thing that you just said, the luck and the wave, the one thing that I think I like about you the most is that the key at the end of it is not assuming that that was because you were a genius. (laughs) It's because you, you know, you saw around some corners and, and, that's great. And you had vision and this is hard work. But I think that the founders that I admire the most are the ones that know that this is, there's so much of this that is outside of their control. And when they, when they look back and they're like, you know, when they can admit that they got really freaking lucky, um, and they learned some really good stuff along the way and they helped some people make careers, you know, that that's, that's kind of what you can hope for. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, I think just, you know, one thing I want to hit on too is, yeah. you know, for brands, you know, for the thousands of listeners you have, <laughs> and, you know, is that, and, and there's going to be brand owners on here, yeah. is never be afraid to innovate. You know, if you, if you're plateauing or give a certain amount of revenue, or you kind of came to this realization where this product cannot go everywhere, you can run it like a long-term business, but if you want to scale faster and that's fine, if mm -hmm. you run as a longer term business, it's great. I mean, I've been doing it eight years and you're, you're in, you're in it for nine or 10 years. Well, not the products, not the product, yeah. but, but it, yeah, for several years that, you know, is, is. You, you want to make sure that the innovation, what you're working on, can pivot you right. to take you to that next level. You don't level. want another one of the things that you're doing. Correct. Correct. And all, but also the innovation can bring so much awareness to your brand that people will then discover your original product and they'll start like buying that. And I think Barnana, I think, did the best job of that. You know, Barnana had their banana bites for many years and- Everyone knows it now, mm -hmm. but then they were getting stuck, right. you know, they just couldn't get enough volume. They, they, they the price was, yeah. was too expensive. It was only in Whole Foods and some other select retailers. So then it came up with the Barnana chips, mm -hmm. the plantain chips, which fits into their mission of simple ingredients. And it's made out of bananas um, and they're delicious. You probably have had them and they go great with your, with your dressings for sure. <laughs> and like they reinvented themselves while building their other right. banana product lines at the same time that they came out with earlier. So I guess, yeah, that's my kind of thing is never be afraid to pivot. Cause sometimes if you're staying still, if the pain of staying still is greater than the pain of moving forward yeah. with something new, yeah. you got to really think about that. It's um, that diminishing return, right? Like at some point you got to fish and cut bait, but not cut it all the way, but you know, it's that sunk cost idea, right? I've already spent so many years trying to make this happen. Why, you know, but um, I think all of that was really, really helpful. Pretty genius, I would say. I didn't sing on this podcast. I have um, been bursting into song spontaneously during a couple of the oh, cool. last recordings. Okay. Yeah, I have this like fantasy of a CPG colon the musical which I just think would be really fun to, I don't know, to like do a mockumentary of, you know, like just a, a, a <laughs> like, yeah, can't you see yeah, it? There's a chorus, there's, a, you know, the buyer and there's the investor. And um, yeah, anyway, I can, see that. I can see that actually working. Yeah. Like, I mean, for yeah. a certain group of people, I also want to do the board game. I, I have a whole list of things that I want to do. Um, not right now, but maybe eventually. Um, Alex, well, you should, you should, you should totally sing a song. I mean, I want to put you on the, <laughs> uh, if you're feeling up to it, I could, I could YouTube a karaoke instrumental. Um, thank you so much. I think, you know, it has to, the, it has to, it just like, it has to hit me. It has to be spur. And, um, now I'm a little bit self-conscious. <laughs> it, it, it will come out. Um, everyone, they're like my Taylor Swift Easter eggs. Every once in a while, people will just like hear me sing which um, may or may not be a good thing. But um, Alex, thank you so much. Um, I knew this was going to be a good one. I even really, I kind of wrote down a couple things. I didn't do a whole draft because um, I knew we would just talk, which is what I think people are hoping for 
these days. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Sally. It was a great time and appreciate having me and happy to, I was glad to share a lot of really cool stuff I've never shared before on other podcasts. Yes, well, that's, you know, because it's in the sauce. Um, and Armin, thank you for engineering even under not the most fun circumstances. So I always appreciate you. All of you listening, um, you know, it's not easy. We definitely weren't like, everything's amazing. Yay, sunshines and unicorns. But hopefully this is helpful. A lot of you do reach out. Um, I'm always happy to help. I'm assuming Alex is too. <laughs> you can find him on LinkedIn. You should definitely listen to his podcast, 15 Minutes of Genius. Also tune into one of his LinkedIn lives with uh, Wade Yenny from The Fresh Market on Friday afternoons. And um, I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.